The title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is The Book of Second Peter. If you're making notes, jot that down. The Book of Second Peter, and this is part three that we are dealing with today. So last time, you would recall that we looked at the second half of chapter one, and today we will look at the first half of chapter two. If you haven't already turned there, please turn there to chapter two, Second Peter chapter two. And as we are doing this, we are trying not to rush through the letter, the epistle. We are trying to spend enough time in each section to be able to really get a hold of it. If you take way too many verses and just think that it's gonna sink in, no, it will not. So just firstly, before we get into the scripture for today, to remind you of the three key lessons we learned last week. Lesson number one, we need to be constantly reminded about biblical truths, even though we may already know them. There's this aspect of being reminded. Peter was saying, I've got to remind you, I've got to remind you. I've even got to leave letters afterwards. It needs to go in deeper. You need to hear it over and over again. Don't get tired of hearing the word of God. It sinks in deeper every time. Uh, you learn new things every time. That was the first point. The second point is the apostles did not make up clever stories about Jesus, but they saw his majesty with their own eyes. They were eyewitnesses. And the third point was trust in the God-inspired authority of Scripture. We live in a world that is trying to undermine Scripture, saying it is not God-inspired, etc. and we need to be clear on understanding that it is breathed by God, that God was completely in control of all of the aspects of the writing of the Word. It is reliable. It is true. So that was last week, the three points that we looked at. Now, let's get into today's passage. 2 Peter 2, verse 1 to 11, reading from the New King James Version. It says, For there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with their deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Now, we get to verse four, and before we start reading from verse four onwards, I wanna to mention to you that verse four is the start of one of the longest sentences in the New Testament, all right? It starts in verse four, and it ends in verse 10. Now, yeah, 
Help me, Jesus. Yeah. I, I was thinking like in younger years when I'd read the scripture and so on, I would, I would look at it and some of these complex sentence structures and so on. I was like, Lord, please, can't you make it easier for us to understand, you know? Have you ever, is it just me, okay? Or is somebody else also thought that? Lord, make it easier for us to understand. But you know, there is this aspect of God says, I will reveal myself to those who diligently seek after me. Somebody just wants to quickly scan, read it, and think you're gonna get it. No, sink your teeth into it. Also, the parables that Jesus shared in the, uh, in the Gospels, many times people didn't understand them. But God was almost creating a veil unless people wanted to really know the truth of the word of God. And so here we start this long sentence in verse four. Uh, have you got your seatbelts on? Let's see this. So it says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterward live ungodly, and delivered Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And it says in brackets in verse eight, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his soul from day to day, seeing and hearing the lawless deeds, verse nine. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve under uh, the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. <gasps> okay, that is the end of that sentence. That's quite a long one. And then it goes on, next sentence. They are presumptuous, these false teachers, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. And we thank the Lord for the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Please keep your Bible open so that as I refer back to verses, you can quickly just put your eyes there and you can take it further. There are three points that I'd love to share with you today based on this passage of scripture. Point one and two I'll spend more time on. Point three is a very brief point. Point number one, here it is. Watch out for false teachers who infiltrate with destructive heresies. Watch out for them. Please say this out aloud with me. Watch out for false teachers who infiltrate with destructive heresies. Basically, verse one, verse two, and three is in essence saying just what you're seeing there. Let's look again at verse one to three. It says, but there were also false 
prophets among the people. This is referring to the Old Testament times. The Old Testament times and the time of the nation of Israel. Yes, there were wonderful, godly prophets who spoke the true word of God, but there were also many false prophets back in those days. And there are several scriptures in the Old Testament that show you these false prophets that told the kings what they wanted to hear, told the people what they wanted to hear, but they were deceived and misled. But there were those prophets back then. It goes on to say, but as there were false prophets among the people, even Sorry, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. God, really? Are there going to be false teachers among us? Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom? The way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. In other words, it might seem like it's taking a long time for this judgment to come. <laughs> it's not slumbering. It's coming. It's on the way. Now, Based on those first three verses, a couple of things that I'd like to point out is this firstly, that there will always be false teachers among us. It's not like you're gonna get to a time where maybe in 15 years time, there will be no false teachers. Probably there's gonna be more false teachers. They will always be among us. And it says in verse one, there will be false teachers among you. You see, as long as there is evil in the world, False teachers will exist. This side of heaven, folks, they will always be present. Now, what makes it really dangerous is that for the most part, the false teachers are within the church. That's scary. Many of these false teachers, they occupy pulpits. They write Christian books. They write Christian articles and publish Christian articles that are put into Christian magazines and what are they doing? They are attacking the church from within. You know, it would be far easier if these false teachers were just blatantly agnostic or blatantly atheist, but they are sneaky. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they are masters of disguise. But Peter makes it clear that they will always be among us. May the Lord give us the wisdom to discern them, amen? Now, the end result of false teaching is there will always be damage and destruction. It never produces anything good. It would seem as if it's gonna be producing something good, but it brings damage and destruction. Verse one says, look in your Bible, they secretly bring in destructive heresies. You might wanna circle that word destructive. And says in, uh, yeah, they bring in destructive heresies, heresies. So Peter makes it clear that these people bring in destruction. How? In a myriad of ways. But they bring in destruction like broken marriages, financial ruin, Bondage. 
They bring in manipulation and control. They bring in warped thinking. They bring in messed up minds, etc. And there will always be destruction. Nothing good comes out of false teaching. Now, for some reason, many people get caught up with false teachers. There's always a crowd of followers, and perhaps it is because it is enticing. There's the seeming like, oh, it'll be good if I follow them. And, and maybe it's a little bit too hard to follow God, and these guys are saying I can still do stuff in the flesh and so on, and so I'm going to follow them. It seems to be enticing. Maybe that's why so many people follow and get caught up in this. It says in verse 2, and many, would you say many? Many will follow their destructive ways. You know, sometimes it's ironic how in a faithful church, there might just be a handful of followers of the Lord Jesus. But then in a church where there is false teachers or a church in inverted commas, uh, there would be oftentimes thousands of people there. You wonder why? But it reminds me of the scripture in Matthew 7, 13 to 14 in the NIV. Jesus said, but the road that leads to, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Wow. Now you might say, well, I don't wanna get caught up into false teachers and wrong doctrine and so on. And here's the key. If you wanna avoid the snare of false teachers, then just keep looking to the truth, child of God. You keep on with your eyes on Jesus. You keep on looking at Jesus Christ. You keep on looking at the truth of the word of God. And he, if you keep your eyes on him, he is the author and the finisher of your faith. You don't need to worry, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking at the authentic, and that is Jesus. He is the truth. Now, in terms of counterfeit notes, one of the things is, well, how do you detect counterfeit notes in society, banknotes and so on? And they say that the best way to detect them is in the banking world, for the tellers, you only show them the real deal. You only show them the authentic currency, which is the proper legitimate currency. And that way, they learn to look what the truth looks like, and then the moment a counterfeit note comes along, immediately, it, like, this looks a bit strange. The coloration is different. What is going on here? The printing looks a bit different. The paper feels a little bit different. But the key is, they don't study all the counterfeit notes, they study the actual authentic notes of whatever currency it might be. And then immediately they realize something is off. I wanna tell you, do not go out and study all the false teachings of the world. You don't do that. You keep your eyes on, the G on Jesus and his truth. And then when something comes along which is a little bit off, you immediately pick it up and you say, something's wrong with the coloration here. Something's wrong with the, I don't do, this is not lacquer. I don't like what this guy's teaching. I am going to stay away from that. Another thing about false teachers is that without fail, false teachers will always exploit their followers. <laughs> they never are looking out for the well-being of their followers. It says in verse three, look in your Bible, verse three, by covetousness, they will exploit you. Would you say the word exploit? With deceptive words. It's put very clearly 
Verse 3 in the New Living Translation, it says, In their greed, these false teachers, they will come up with clever lies to get hold of your money. I think of Danny DeVito years ago. He was acting in some movie. You know that little short guy? Danny DeVito, and, uh, and, and in the movie he said, there is only one thing that I love more than my money. He says it is other people's money. <laughs> I think that's kind of the mantra of people who are false teachers. And they will exploit you. They are after your money. Somehow it always involves money. And they see the ministry as a lucrative business and they enrich themselves. By the way, there is a church, so-called church that I know of in the city. And the business people in the church hand over and sign over the control of their businesses to the leadership, and then the leadership pays you a salary. <laughs> Somehow money is always involved, but people still get caught up in it. It would appear as though there are no consequences for false teachers. It's almost like they get away with it. But let me tell you, according to the Word of God, we can know for sure destruction will surely come on false teachers. Amen? Amen? That is for sure. Talking about false teachers, well, you might say, well, what are the false teachings that are kind of uh, evident today? They are fairly prevalent today. Can I quickly give you a couple of the more prevalent false teachings? Here is one. Universalism which basically says all roads lead to God, all religions lead to God, ultimately everybody will be saved, and the issue is you just need to be sincere about your faith. No matter what your faith is, you just need to be sincere about it because God is looking for sincerity of heart. That's a lie. You can be sincere and yet be sincerely wrong. Universalism, a false teaching. Another one, legalism. This is where people go back under the bondage of the law, the Jewish roots thing, the Jewish roots theology, and they get told that the cross and the blood is not enough. You also need to observe the Old Testament laws and so on. It is a false teaching. Another false teaching is hypergrace. Hypergrace teaches you that you can live as you please because you're covered by grace. Yes, your sins are covered past, uh, past, present, and future, which is true, but then they say because of that, you can live as you please. It is a lie. It is hyper-grace, a false teaching. Another one is the prosperity gospel, which teaches that we should all be wealthy and we should all own lavish things. It's not what Jesus preached. Another false teaching is that hell doesn't exist. The whole thing of erasing hell. And then they say the following. They say that a God of love would never send somebody to hell. And you think, well, maybe that's true and so on. Now let me tell you, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose to go when they say, I don't want your gift of salvation and the gift of grace. I don't want it. Stick it, God. I'm not interested. I'm going to do my own thing. And so therefore, people choose an internal separation from God. But I want to tell you today, according to Scripture, hell is a real place. Another false teaching is we are Christ's. 
In other words, we become literal sons of God, equal to Jesus Christ. There's a church in the city of Pretoria. I call it a church, but it's in inverted commas. And they teach this thing big time. And the leader of this church even changed his middle name to Christ. Imagine if I changed my name to John Christ Rabbit. I want to tell you, that's when you say, my pastor's loopy, I am out of here. <laughs> People are teaching this stuff. It's a false teaching. Another false teaching is traditional religion. This is the mixture of Christianity with ancestral worship. I want to say it, you need nothing but the blood of Jesus to wash you clean and make you acceptable to the Father. <laughs> nothing but the blood of Jesus. Don't believe the lies of talking to the so-called ancestors. You are actually talking to demons masquerading as ancestors. Another two that I'd like to mention about false teachings is cessationism. This is to do with something ceasing, not being anymore. Cessationism teaches that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. It denies that they are for today. And it says it was only meant to help the church get going in the early days of the Acts of the Apostles. Now that's not necessary. That is a lie. It is a false teaching. The gifts are for today. And then the last one, Kingdom Now. Maybe you've heard of the Kingdom Now theology, which basically says that the rapture is not going to happen. We are here and the kingdom is already here. And so these are some of the fairly well-known false teachings, but there are also a myriad of other lies that twist the truth of the Word of God. But what is happening? What is Peter saying to us? He is basically warning us about false teachers. I want to ask you, child of God, are you hearing the warning from the apostle Peter today? Are you hearing the warning? Because there is great danger if we don't heed his words and listen to the warning. Point number two, God knows how to deliver the godly out of trials. Isn't that beautiful? And he will ensure that the unjust face punishment. Please say this out aloud with me. God knows how to deliver the godly out of trials, and he will ensure that the unjust face punishment. Now, verse 4, right to verse 9, is basically saying that one sentence. Let's look at verse 9. I hope your Bible's still open. It says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Praise God. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, this is a key verse in our passage today, folks. And there is a contrast that has been given here in these verses, a contrast between deliverance for God's people and punishment for the unjust. And the idea that we see expressed in verse 9, which we've just read, it sounds very similar to me. It sounds very similar to uh, Psalm 34. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But in Psalm 34... We read about God's heart towards the righteous, that's us, and also the fact that he will deal decisively with the wicked. Let me read it to you. Psalm 34, verse 15 to 17 in the NIV. 
it says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. This is beautiful. And his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. Somebody says, well, isn't God just neutral towards those who do evil? No. God will deal with those who do evil, and ultimately they will be blotted out. Verse 17 says, yeah, the righteous, that's you and I, cry out, and the Lord hears them, and he delivers them from all their troubles. When I read a scripture like that, I think how comforting this is. Isn't that wonderful? It's comforting that God is delivering his people, delivering the righteous. Now, Peter gives some vivid examples of the deliverance of the righteous as well as of the punishment of the wicked, and let's just look at them. Essentially, there are three examples. The first example is of the angels. The second example is of the ancient world and Noah. The third example is of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. So let's look at the one about the angels. Look at verse 4 in your Bible. It says, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. What has been said here, essentially, if God did not spare the rebellious angels, then he will not spare the false teachers for leading people astray. You could put it in this way. You could say the following, if God judged evil in the past, he sure as can be is going to judge evil in the future. And some people think because maybe we're not seeing too much widespread judgment right now in this day and age, people think, well, ah, it's not a problem. Let me tell you, if God judged it in the past, he will judge it in the future, and there is a great day of reckoning to come. So that's the example of the angels. Then... There's the example of the ancient world, this is before the flood, and Noah. Look at verse 5 in your Bible. God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. What's very important to notice here is the level of corruption in society. Do you know that the entire civilization at that point in time was entirely corrupt? Everyone was corrupt. And the Bible says that all the thoughts and intentions of their heart were corrupt and evil all the time. Wow, that's a lot of wickedness. But the question is this. Did God let the ancient world off of the hook? No, he didn't. And he didn't let them off the hook, and neither will he let false teachers off the hook. They will face judgment, is what the Word of God is telling us. In the same breath, it's wonderful to see that God faithfully delivered Noah from the flood. It's still an incredible story. It is a literal account of what happened in history. And he faithfully delivered Noah. And the wonderful thing is that God will faithfully deliver you and I as his children out of trials and temptations. Can we thank the Lord for his faithfulness? Hallelujah. He faithfully delivered them. 
And so it's so important to realize that this aspect of being delivered is something that God does. Now, in terms of this aspect of, uh, where am I now? Am I still in uh, the ancient world in Noah? And so the fact is that God knew how to deliver Noah from the flood. He will deliver us from trials and temptations. But here's the thing. I love this phrase. God knows how to deliver. Would you please turn to the person next to you and tell them, God knows how to deliver. Tell them that. Now we look at the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. In terms of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, I'm going to read now from verse 6 to 7 in the New Living Translation. It says the following, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. Listen to this. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But then here, but God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the same shameful immorality of people around about him. Now, if God punished the rampant immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah, then he will surely punish false teachers for their wickedness. That's something that we learn in here. But praise God, having said that, Lot was miraculously delivered from that city while fire and sulfur were raining down. God supernaturally took them by the hand and took them out of that city. And God can miraculously deliver you from the trials and then temptations in a wicked world in which we are living. There is hope, there is hope, there is hope. Now let me ask you this, by the way, what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, those two cities? Well, this is it. It included sexual immorality, homosexuality, perversion, pride, apathy, etc. But I'd like to point out to you that God literally, he wiped out these cities. They don't even exist today, folks. And archaeologists believe that they may possibly have been buried under the waters of the Dead Sea. I find that very significant. So archaeologists, not sure, but they're saying that if they are to try to pin a location, it is under the, the waters of the Dead Sea. Wow, under a place of death. There's no fish and stuff that live in the Dead Sea. It is completely dead. And it was right there, possibly, where Sodom and Gomorrah and all the wickedness took place, and therefore nothing can live there today. God wiped the cities literally out. Listen to what one theologian says. He says, it is not popular to preach about judgment nowadays. But do we think that we have outgrown this clear doctrine of Scripture? We have a lot of emphasis on the tolerance of others. But we must not dilute God's clear words of warning. Because to turn away from God is to turn to ruin. And from such ruin, there can be no escape. And so I say, let the word of God go forth clearly and uh, unapologetically today, because we're preaching the word of God. You know, in terms of all of this, and 
reading through the letters of Peter and so on, I'm thinking of this. We should be grateful for the letters that Peter wrote. Amen? Because they help us live victoriously in these last days. Point number three, I said to you, would be very brief. Here we go. God will be especially hard on those who pursue filthy sexual desires and despise authority. This is what verse 10 and 11 says. As I was reading and preparing it, I I, I saw a clear connection here between sexual perversion and rebellion. The two go hand in hand. Generally, if there is rebellion, there will be sexual perversion. Generally, if there's sexual perversion, there will be rebellion. Now, the last verse that we're going to look at today, verse 10, it says there, this is especially true, what? The judgment of those who follow, here it is, the corrupt desire of the flesh, that's the filthiness of the flesh, and despise authority. It goes on to say, bold and arrogant they are, not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, or the New King James Version says dignitaries, as I understand, this refers to angelic beings, that these people would just shout off their mouth and say all sorts of crazy things about angelic beings, but the first part of verse 10 is basically singling out two groups for punishment. The first group is those who live in unclean lust, and the second group is those who despise God-given authority. And so it's clear from the scripture that God is gonna be especially hard on those two groups of people, and rightfully so, because it is detestable in his eyes. I was just thinking of a practical example And I think of a so-called pastor in the Eastern Cape who, he was found guilty for sexually abusing women in his ministry. Can you believe that? Here he says he's a pastor, he's got a church and all of that and everything looks glossy and fancy clothes and shiny snakeskin shoes and so on. By the way, watch out if your pastor wears shiny snakeskin shoes. (laughs) But anyhow, what he did was shocking. Absolutely shocking. But surely God will judge that more harshly. And that's what it's saying. God's going to judge that more harshly. And these false teachers, they are full of pride. And they are full of arrogance. They live as they please. And when the suggestion is made to them that judgment will occur in the future, they laugh at that. They scoff at that. Ah, I've been getting away this, with this for the past seven years. Don't tell me anything's going to happen. And also they hate authority. They don't want anyone over them. They shun authority. Whereas God says in Christ-like character, we are the people who will respect every human institution that God has put into place. It's by their fruit, folks, that you will know them. And just to say this as I'm drawing to a close, while this warning is specifically directed at false teachers, yes it is, it also serves as a warning for all of us to walk soberly and rightly in this time. Have you received the word of the Lord today? Give the Lord a hand of praise, amen. Now, would you please stand with me? I'm about to pray. Please don't leave at this point. 
as I'm about to pray, I'd like to just share one verse to encourage us as we end. And it's found in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. I believe it has great bearing on this. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, here we go, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should, this is the emphasis, live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Say that line with me. Live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that you've spoken to us clearly through your word today. We love your word. The scripture says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into our path. We thank you. We worship you for your word. You have set your, you, you have set your word above your name, Lord. Your word is so powerful, Lord. And so as your people gathered here today, we say we are in complete submission for the, to the word of God. We pray that you would protect our lives from false teachers and false teachings. We want to keep our eyes on you, Jesus. Thank you that as we keep our eyes on you, we are completely secure. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for beautiful times and your presence and worship and your word. We pray that as we go out into the rest of the day, that it would be a wonderful day full of joy and we just say we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a final hand of praise. Hallelujah.